We're talking about this idea of the second coming of Christ, and it is a very difficult thing to talk about. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of people who have different opinions about what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, the order of events, how things group together. But we're going to try our best this morning to just truly let Scripture speak for itself. And that's my heart's intent as we dive into this is that this isn't what I think is going to happen. This is what Scripture proclaims what's going to happen. And we're going to look at the truths of Scripture and what they mean to us. And in order for us to do that, as we begin to look at the second coming of Christ, we have to understand what foundation that we're setting. And this is where I want to begin, because I think it's so important that we have the correct foundations going forward. And what I mean by a foundation is, I'm meaning when we look at our future, what are we building upon to enhance or to enable that future to be what we want it to be? What kind of things are we investing into it? What kind of things are we doing or we're acting or we're saying or how exactly are we building this foundation? And when it comes to the second coming of Christ, what knowledge are we building this foundation upon? What things are we studying or what things are we reading or what are we doing to better understand this and how it affects us, how it impacts us? And when it comes to building a foundation for the future, I think a lot of people build on the wrong foundation and they're in trouble. Now, I can humbly say that I'm not a contractor. I'm not a builder. I am skilled with a saw, which means I can see something and chop it in half, whether it's fair or not. I don't know. You'll find that when you build it. But nevertheless, I do know a little bit about building. I know enough about building to know if you don't have a solid foundation, your building is in trouble. No matter how big or how tall the building is, no matter how grand or wise it may be, no matter if it's built of gold, gold or it's built of glass or built of paper mache or whatever it may be, who it's filled with, what it's filled with. If the building itself isn't on a strong foundation, the building will collapse. The building will experience major troubles. You see, you have to have a strong foundation in order for things to be properly built, to be properly strengthened. And what I'm talking about here in relation to this series is the foundation that we as believers build upon when it comes to the second coming of Christ. What do we know about what's going to happen? What do we think is going to happen? Because what we know and what we think is going to determine and decipher what we do with this knowledge, how we act upon this knowledge, if we think it's important or not, or how we live our lives in view of all that God is trying to say. And I can tell you that this morning, we do have the strongest foundation, and that foundation is the Word of God. This is the foundation that we must be building upon. But a lot of people, they say, well, you know, all of us kind of do things a little bit differently. I've studied the Bible. I've read the end times. I've read the book of Revelation. I was scared, and I closed it and hid it in a shelf and ran away as fast as I could, right? I've done these things, but I still don't understand what it is. And I think a lot of that comes from the different foundations that we unknowingly set in our lives. You see, there are all these different types of foundations that we tend to put above the foundation of the Bible and the foundation of the Lord. So before we get started really diving into the second coming of Christ, I think it's important that we examine our own foundations of how we should prepare to receive this information, to receive the word of God this morning. When it comes to foundations, I marked this out on your outlines. The question is, what foundation are we building upon? What in our lives are we setting ourselves up for? Well, for most people, it's the foundation of pride. And what I mean by that is, what are we going to be able to be, or what are we going to be able to do tomorrow or next week or the week after? What can I do to make myself look better? Oh, I can read the Bible, but now that I've read that, these are what I am going to do. Oh, I'm going to become rich. I'm going to become famous. I'm going to become prominential in all these places. I'm going to be doing all these things. It's me, me, me where the focus is removed upon what God wants to do, what God is going to do, to what I want to do and what I want to happen. And so we become prideful 
But as most prideful people know, which they'll never admit, is that when you're building on the foundation of pride, that foundation collapses. It's not a foundation whatsoever. Pride will collapse. Maybe if it's not the foundation of pride, maybe it's the foundation of materialism. Or we say, oh, I've got to work harder. I've got to gain more money. I've got to get that successful job. I've got to keep climbing the corporate ladder higher and higher and higher until I get that successful number, that exact number I'm looking to be in my bank account. Because when I have that much money, I am then successful. I can do these things. I think most of us in the room who know people who are like this, maybe we're even like this. And this is the foundation. Well, I don't want God to come back until I'm rich. I don't want God to come back until I have achieved these things. And that brings to the third foundation, which is the foundation of denial. And I think this is another big one because a lot of us are in denial of what's happening in the world around us. We see the news and we read the paper and the horrible atrocities happening all across the world. And we say, hey, you know, that's great, but it's happening somewhere else. It's not happening to me. You know, that's great. I see all this. It's not really great. It's horrible, but I see all the stuff that's going on, but it doesn't affect me. So I don't believe the reality of it. And so we go living our lives saying, well, my life is going to be just fine because that has no bearing upon what's going to happen to me. And we have this denial of the reality of what is going on, of how Christ is preparing this world, of what he is doing here. And we push it away saying, well, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't choose to believe that that's true. And a lot of that, the foundation of denial is actually based on a deeper foundation. And that's the foundation of fear. A lot of us build our foundations on fear. There are a lot of people that are afraid of the future. And unfortunately, there are even more people who like to prey upon that fear. You see, all of us are afraid of the unknown. We're afraid to, to know what is out there, right? We kind of guard ourselves. We protect ourselves because we're going to cautiously travel down this road. And people see this and they try to disillusion you saying, well, if you do this and this is going to happen, you do this, this is going to happen. And they try to brainwash you into going a certain path that's completely devoid from where God wants you to be. And we stray down this path because we're afraid. And sometimes in life, this is a reality because we've been afraid of something and we try to prepare ourselves. And then what we were afraid of the most actually happened to us. And as soon as it does, we say, see, I told you so. I'm never going to do this again. And we isolate ourselves. We shut ourselves down and say, I don't trust in God because the last time I trusted, I was broken down. I was tormented. All these bad things are happening. And I'm afraid of feeling that way again. So I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to push myself away. I'm going to hide from the presence of God because if I don't, things may happen again. And I'm going to live my life in this sheltered, dark corner, afraid of the world and afraid of what God can do because of that one experience. And that's where a lot of people build their foundation on. Well, I don't trust God because what has God ever done for me? He's never made me rich. He's never made me powerful. He's never made me famous. He's never given me a reason to believe in myself. I'm doubting all the time. I'm afraid of trusting in God. So I push him away. And those are the foundations that a lot of people build their lives upon. But when I truly started looking at it, looking into scripture and reading, I think that there's only one foundation that you and that I can build upon that is going to be a foundation of strength, foundation of joy, a foundation of encouragement, and a foundation of, la of last a lasting foundation. And that is the foundation of hope. The foundation of hope is the foundation that lasts. It is the strongest of all the foundations. Now, there's an incredible difference between a wish for the future and a hope for the future, right? We can say, well, I wish that in my future, Mickey Mouse comes and takes me away to Walt Disney World. 
right? That's my wish for the future. Some of you say, well, I hope that he does this, but we know the reality of it. And we know that Mickey Mouse would never come choose me and take me to Walt Disney World, right? Unless you're David Hopper. But, um, <laughs> but nevertheless, the reason why I bring this up is because when we think about this, if something is not built upon the truth, it's a wish. Even more so, if something is not built on a certainty, it's a wish, it's not a hope. A hope is something that you're certain of. Well, I know this to be true, and I hope that it still happens. You see, when we look at scripture, the great thing about being a Christian is that we have a certainty about what's going to happen. We have an absolute certainty of what the word of God says that he's going to do in these end days. And that's where we put our foundation. That's what we put our hope in. Who cares what the world has to say? Who cares about all these negative things the world's trying to dilute us with and pull us away from his presence? Because the true foundation is in the word of God. And he says, be ready, be alert, because a day is coming and I'm coming back. And you need to be aware of the things that will happen. There's a certainty about what God is going to do. So that's the foundation that we have to build this morning upon. The foundation of we know that God says these things are going to happen. But then that brings us to the next question. Well, what exactly is it that God is saying is going to happen? What is it that Paul, we can gain from 1 Thessalonians that we can understand this meaning? And so this morning, I want us to take a look at a passage of scripture. And Paul writes this to the Thessalonians in chapter 413, because it's going to build upon what we're going to talk about in a minute. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about what is going to happen when Jesus comes again. Just no say, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, meaning I want you to know what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. Notice it doesn't say, hey, don't be ignorant if Jesus comes again. Don't be ignorant because he's never coming again. It's be, don't be ignorant when he comes again. Be ready. It's a certainty. It's going to happen. And you need to know what's going to happen when Christ does come back. And I want us to walk through this carefully just to see what Paul has to say, because these are the foundations that we have to build our knowledge of the second coming of Christ upon. So to start, I know Pastor Larry and Pastor Carlos have kind of already done this, but we need to take a look at the context, a real brief context of this letter. The Thessalonians, Paul, why they're writing each other, what spurred them on to writing. You see, the Thessalonians, they were a very confused congregation. They had a lot of questions. They truly loved Paul. They listened to Paul. And Paul's saying, be alert, be ready, because Christ is coming back. And they're like, yay, we believe in Christ. But wait a second, we've got all of our loved ones, our relatives, our friends. They've all died. Why is it that I get to experience these great blessings of Christ and none of them do? And so they start to question and they're thinking about what Paul has to say and they're confused. And the more that Paul starts to talk, the more questions that they start to get. They gather all these questions up and they're kind of confused. So they write to Paul and they say, Paul, these are legitimate fears, legitimate concerns that we have regarding our families, our loved ones, and even ourselves. We trust your opinion. We value what you have to say. And we need to know what exactly you mean by this. What exactly is going to happen? So Paul writes this letter back to them, answering their questions, giving them a hope for what is about to happen. But Paul, he doesn't just write because of their intellectual curiosity or their interest in the second coming, or even wondering what will happen when Jesus comes again. But Paul is writing to answer very real and very personal questions that they have. And these questions are a lot like the same questions that we have, which we'll see in a minute. But continuing on, listen to what he says in scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 13, or chapter uh, 4, verses 13 through 15. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve. Well, by the way, falling asleep is a euphemism for death. 
or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. What's the foundation we build upon? Hope. He says, don't grieve like those who have no hope. You see, if that foundation of hope is missing, you're going to miss out on amazing things and you're going to be sad because of it. He says, don't be ignorant, but don't grieve like those who have no hope. We believe Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Continuing on, it says, well, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is a very confusing passage. It's a very powerful passage, and there's a lot inside of it that we have to dissect, a lot that we need to know as we build upon this foundation. But the biggest thing that we can see here is that these are real concerns. They have legitimate concerns, legitimate fears about what is going to happen during this time. And they're frightened by it. They don't want to be caught off guard. They want to know exactly what's going on. You see, they believe, they truly believe Jesus Christ was coming back at any moment as all Christians should believe, but they literally believed it. They're saying, God, he's going to, or Jesus Christ is going to come back and we need to be ready. What can we do to prepare? How can we build our knowledge so we can be ready for this event? What do we do? See, Paul had taught them about this already, and they had a sense of the fact that Jesus could come again at any moment, but he didn't leave a specific date or time. He didn't say, hey, get ready because he's coming back next Wednesday. He says, hey, get ready because he's coming back next month. He says, no, be ready because he's going to come back soon. Be alert. Be ready. And he kind of does this because he doesn't want them to be like, oh, let me focus and build my life right here, right now, so I look like this shining, perfect example when Christ is in my presence. Versus, look, Christ could come back at any moment. This is how you should be living your life all throughout. I use this as an illustration in my, the high school group a couple months ago, but most of you are probably familiar with selfies, right? It's a picture that you take of yourself. When we take a selfie of ourselves, we try to present ourselves in the best possible surrounding, right? We take and we fix the stage. You know, I'm like up here, I like put the guitar on the strap. I'm like, hey, right? I take the picture, but I make sure like my hair's all good. My shirt's all lined up, right? And then I post it. And then everybody in the world, because the whole world's my Facebook friend, right? Or my Twitter friend. Everybody in the world, they see this post like, oh, sweet. Matt played worship. Matt looks good, right? He's, he's shaved. It's kind of weird, but nevertheless, things are looking good, right? But is that the reality of what my life looks like? No, it's not. It's a manipulated reality based off of what I want people to perceive about me. And I think a lot of people that say, oh yeah, Christ is coming back. And if we knew the date and time, oh, I'm going to be the perfect Christian. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to tithe more. I'm going to do all these things. Okay, God, now I'm ready. But God says, no, that's not what it's about. You should always be living your life as if I was in your presence. You should always be ready for me to be right there with you. Because guess what? I am there. I am with you. It shouldn't make a difference whether I'm physically in the flesh or not of how you live your life. You need to be ready at a moment's notice. But some of the Thessalonians, they had friends and relatives who had died. And they're really concerned about this. And they say, well, Paul, they've gone to heaven, or we hope they've gone to heaven. And we've got some questions. And so they ask, would they see their loved ones again? Have they gone to someplace different when they went to be with the Lord and they wouldn't see them anymore? Were they? If Jesus was coming again and those who had died, did they go? Are the Lord somewhere else? Are they going to even face the judgment that comes when Jesus returns? You see, these are very personal and very real concerns that they have. They're legitimately concerned for those who have died because they love them, just like we love one another. And we should be concerned about this as well. And so these are the kind of concerns that even you and I may have today. 
And the point behind all of this is that just like the Thessalonians, we are expecting Jesus Christ to return at any moment. Just like the Thessalonians, we are expecting him to return at any moment. Therefore, we need to prepare. We need to be alert. We need to be ready. We need to have this foundation of hope to understand what's going to happen as we go forward. Anytime that you face the fact that there's an eternity involved, questions start to pour in. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you're facing in your life. doesn't matter how you feel about God, whether you like God, you hate God, you're quiet with God, you don't believe in God. doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. Anytime eternity comes into play, where you start to say, someday I may die or someday I will die, questions flood in, even for believers. And we start to wonder, we start to think about these things. And so Paul's writing about these. He's saying, yeah, you know what? Death is around the corner, but so is the coming of Christ. And you need to be ready. You need to be alert to what's going to happen to these things. Don't be ignorant about what is about to happen. So that brings us as a foundation for the actual lesson today, right? So as we're looking at this, what does this mean then looking at all of this of what will happen when Jesus comes again? What exactly will happen? Do we know about the second coming of Jesus Christ? So I'm going to try my best to make this as simple yet complex and interwoven as possible. But I, I pray that you guys, sorry, I pray that you guys follow me along this line because maybe this is the first time some of you have actually started to look at these truths of scripture. Maybe it's the first time some of you have taken these different pieces and put them together to see the whole story about what's going to happen. But I pray that you just let your hearts be open to hear what God wants to place on your foundation this morning. So the question is, what will happen when Jesus comes back? Well, the first thing should be pretty self-explanatory. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? (laughs) He's going to come back. He's going to return, right? You can't have a second coming of Christ if Christ doesn't come a second time. It just doesn't work that way. So Paul says the very first thing that happens is that the Lord will return. He will descend and he will come down from heaven. And there's no doubt that as you study the Bible, we do know, we have confidence that Christ did come to this earth and he will come again. That's an assurance that we have. That's a confidence that we place our hope upon. A scholar estimated that there are 1,845 references to Jesus' second coming in the Old Testament, not just what Jesus had to say, but also before he came. 17 books of the Old Testament give it prominence. And the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 316 references to the second coming of Christ. One out of every 30 verses, 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to the second coming of Christ. For every prophecy in the Bible about the first coming of Jesus Christ, there are eight for the second coming of Christ. It's there. It's a truth. It's a certainty that Christ is going to come again. And Jesus and God is writing because he doesn't want you to miss out on this hope. He doesn't want you to build this incorrect foundation. He wants to strengthen you with the assurance of what's going to happen. So looking at this, Christ is going to return. Well, that's great that Christ is going to return, but what's going to happen when he returns? That's what we're here to find out. We're talking about his second coming. So what exactly happens? Well, looking at scripture, Paul says there's two things that happen. The first thing that happened is that Jesus is going to gather the church to himself, that we get to be gathered to him and we get to be with him forever. Secondly, he's going to judge the world, all the nations and the unbelievers. Now, there are some people who believe these two events happen at the same time. And Jesus comes back, he gathers all of his followers to himself, and then he goes and he judges the world. There are other people who believe that there's a time span between this. Jesus comes back. He gathers his believers. There's a period of tribulation. And then after that, Jesus is going to judge the world and then all will be right again. And I'm not here to split hairs. 
I'm not here to tell you which way is the right way or which way is the wrong way. What I want you to know is what the truth of the scripture proclaims. And the truth of the scripture proclaims, and it says, be ready because he's going to come back. He's going to gather his church and the world is going to be judged. There's no specific order. And that's what we should focus on. It doesn't matter if there's a tribulation in between. It doesn't matter all these things. We need to have this assurance that the church will be gathered to himself and the world is going to be judged. And these are the important things to look at. He will return, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. And so how do we know when this return comes? There's churches all over the world who says that the second coming has already happened. It's already come and already gone. And I was talking backstage with some of the guys who like, some churches believe in the third coming of Christ, right? It's this fascinating thing. So what does the Bible say that will be the markers, even though we don't look for signs, but how will we know when Christ truly has come back? Well, once again, God through Paul lays it out. He says that Christ will return with a loud command. Now, this is so cool to me. Christ is going to return with a loud command. In John 5, 25, it says, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. See, this verse indicates that this loud command is going to be heard by all of the believers who have died before Jesus Christ returns and all who hear will be resurrected. Now, we know that Jesus can resurrect people back from the dead because he's done it before in Scripture. In John chapter 11, verse 43, we read a story about a man named Lazarus, right? Lazarus had died. Lazarus had gone into the tomb. He was buried for four days. And after some journey, Jesus comes up and he stands at the tomb and he says, Lazarus, rise and come out. And what happens? Lazarus comes out. As I was reading this and researching this, I actually came across a really interesting commentary that's held by several different theologians. And they said that Jesus had to specifically call Lazarus by name. Because if Jesus didn't call Lazarus' name first, everybody in the tomb would have gotten up and come out at his command. How crazy that thing. Jesus would be like, hey, all you guys, come on out. And everybody just walks out. But no, he specifies. He gets there. He says, Lazarus, all the other ones, I'll get to you later. Lazarus, you rise and come out. When Jesus calls us by name, we can rise and come to him. It's so powerful when we truly start to read about this. But Lazarus came out of the tomb at the loud command of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Thessalonians and other places that this is going to be reduplicated again and again throughout history. He says that Jesus is going to come with a loud command. Those who have died in Christ, all the believers who have died before Jesus comes again, they will rise and come out of their graves. Now, this is where you got to start following me on this. This is where it gets a little bit confusing. If the dead will hear and will live, does that mean that somehow they're not living until Jesus Christ comes again? It's a, a good question. If the dead will hear and live, does that mean that they're not living until Jesus comes again? Does that mean that somehow their soul and their body, they go into the grave and they're asleep there. And then when Jesus returns, that's when we come back to life. Is that what the Bible's teaching? When we look at scripture, from this passage and a passage, I would say no. And the reason why I say this is because the Bible teaches there's a difference between our souls and our bodies and exactly what happens to them during this resurrection period. But we're going to get to that in just a minute. I don't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves. I said there's three things that mark when Jesus comes back. First is this loud command that he gives. The second thing that we see is the voice of an archangel. And this is also powerful. There's one who's called the archangel in the Bible, and it's Michael. In Daniel 12, 1, Michael's talked about in regards to the second coming of Christ and what happens. He says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will stand up. So God's going to return. He's going to give out this loud voice. And the archangel is going to call for the one who protects the people to stand up, to rise. But there's a third thing that's even more powerful. 
That third thing is there will be a trumpet call of God. It's going to be quite a day. This is an incredible trumpet call. And the Bible talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 52. If you follow with me, it says, but let me tell you a wonderful secret that God has revealed to us. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blinking of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, continuing on, says, when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies. And then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. Look what happens when this trumpet goes off. This is an amazing scene. The Christians who have died already, the Bible says, they will be raised with transformed bodies. And then those of us who are still living will be transformed in these new bodies. So that way we never have to die. Now notice we don't have to die and then be raised again in order to receive these resurrected bodies. It says instantaneously it's going to happen. It's that we are going to be transformed so that we will never have to die. What an amazing, powerful day. But you see the Thessalonians, they still don't understand. They still don't get this. They still have questions and they're still concerned saying, well, that's great, Paul. We still, we understand what you're saying, but what about the people who are in the graves? What about our loved ones who have gone on? Yeah, that's great that the Lord returns. That's great. We're getting these transformed bodies, but what about them? We know Lazarus, but these people, I'm concerned about them. What does God have to say is going to happen regarding them? And so that's the second point that Paul gets to. He says, first, Christ will return. And secondly, when Christ returns, there's a resurrection that's going to happen a powerful resurrection where the dead in Christ will rise. The Bible began talking about us in the Old Testament. In Daniel 12, 2, it says, multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth and they will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. In Philippians, it talks about what God's going to do with these bodies of believers. It says he will not take these weak mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own, or he will, sorry. He will take these weak mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer everything everywhere. You see, the Bible began talking about those who sleep in the day of the Lord and their concern for those who really have fallen asleep, those who have passed away. And the Greek word that we see here for falling asleep is what we use for the word cemetery. It's this idea from the Greek in our New Testament, and it reaches the conclusion of a place where bodies are rest, a place where bodies go to sleep. See, when you die, if Jesus doesn't come again, are you immediately resurrected? Does that mean that I die and my body is asleep until he comes, and then once he comes, I'm resurrected? Is that what Scripture's talking about? Well, think about this. Do you remember when Jesus was resurrected? When Mary and all of them went to the tomb and they see it rolled back. What is missing from the inside? The body. The body is gone. Why? Because it is a transformed, it is a resurrected body. And there's a very interesting point about this. If we look at Lazarus, you know, Lazarus was not a resurrected body. Lazarus was a resuscitated body. You see, a resurrected body is one that is perfect, is complete, is transformed into the image of what God wants it to be. This glorious, amazing body. He calls forward, he calls Lazarus out and says, Lazarus, come forward. And Lazarus rises, but you know what? That body is still fleshly desires. That body is still prone to decay. That body is still prone to death. It's a resuscitated body, not a resurrected body. And Jesus, he says here that when your body goes to sleep, remember what happens? The body will be transformed and become a perfect body that will last forever. His body was, it disappeared. It was resurrected. But does that mean that's going to happen to us as well? Is our body, when we die, just going to gone and we're resurrected into this beautiful body? 
Believer dies today. Does our disappear days? No. What do we do with it? We bury it or we cremate it. We do all these things to it. When we die, we're not immediately resurrected in our body. See, does that mean that when I soul stays with my body and somehow it goes to the grave and it waits for Jesus to the answer is, I think most intuitively know that when our body stays here as a shell, ours goes to be with the Lord. There's a separation that happens. And you have to study the Bible long to discover that. Jesus talked on the cross when he said to the thieves, they be with me in paradise. Not a, oh, hey, why? And I'm going to go up, I'm going to be with Jesus, and then I'm going to come back down. And once I'm back down, then I'll do, and then we'll go. He says, today, even though our bodies are here on the, Christ, or on the cross, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Even to lose to this, when he says to depart from this body is to be present with the Lord. Helpful is that. To depart from this body to be present with the Lord. Such a cool passage. Again and again, the Bible focuses on this. So when you and I die now, we spiritually, we in our spirits, we go to be with the Lord in heaven. That's very clear in the Bible. So the question then is, if our spirits go to be the Lord, is that the way they always stay? When do we get our resurrected body? Do we even get a resurrected body? Well, we get our resurrected body when Jesus Christ returns. See what's going to happen? It's incredible. First Corinthians 15 said it. And it's very clear. It says we're going to have this resurrected, this transformed, this perfect body when Jesus returns. I hope you all get this. Jesus and with the Spirit. All those who have heard, all those who have forward with him. And then when he returns, he brings all of us with him. And the body that's been in the grave is transformed somehow. And in some way that I don't understand, we here are renewed. We're just made this new transformed body. And it's such a powerful thing and be reunited. Some people say, well, because doesn't the body become us after in the grave? A few years? Don't you decay and turn back into the earth? I have a simple answer to that. If God can man out of dust, I'm pretty sure he can resurrect a man out of dust. I wouldn't put it past him at all. But you see, the Bible, it doesn't state that we're just these floating spirits that are in heaven, right? These ghoulish bodies. Bible teaches us that we will enjoy bodies just like Jesus enjoyed his resurrected body. And this is what the Thessalonians are concerned about. They thought that people that had already died, well, they're not going to get a rapture. They're not going to get to be part of this. Their resurrected body wasn't going to be there, and it didn't seem fair. Didn't seem to them at all. So Paul has to teach them that's not how it's going to happen. They go immediately to be with the Lord. But then when the Lord returns, before you and I even get our new transformed bodies, he says that they will get theirs. The resurrected body is not this ghoulish body. It's a resurrected body. It's a perfect body. We're not talking about the walking dead, right? We're talking about the day of the living Lord. And this amazing thing, and it's an entirely, entirely different thing. He resurrects us. He makes us new with him for all eternity. And it's going to be this body like the disciples experienced when he came back, that they could see, they could interact to, they could be around. That's what it's going to be like. And it's going to be amazing. And it's incredible to think what God has for the future. And that's our confidence. And that's our hope. But that's not the end of the story. When we take a look at this, well, we know that Christ will return. We know that there's this resurrection of those who are dead. But what about us? us who are alive. If we're here and he were to return today, what happens to us? And so that's where Paul gets his third point. And he says, this is the rapture, the rapture. We who are alive, the Bible says, will be caught up to be with Jesus. And this is the literal meaning of the word rapture. and actually comes from a Latin word, not a Greek word. And it means to be caught up with. And many people distinguish the rapture of Christ's church from the second coming of Christ's church in judgment for the world. And these are two different events. Some think they're going to happen simultaneously. Some think they're going to happen separated by a period of tribulation. But the point, once again, is they're both a part of what happens when Jesus Christ comes back. They're both vital parts of it. And so Paul is talking about the rapture. He says, there's this moment when those of us who are still alive upon this earth, when Jesus comes again, that we will immediately see our bodies resurrected. 
that we will have this amazing, it says, notice that you don't just die and they're resurrected. They're transformed immediately. And the Bible says that when this happens, you and I will be caught up with them in the clouds. That's crazy to me. There's a very upward look to this. This rapture is going to happen. Those who are dead have been resurrected. They're now with Christ as he has returned. And then we go up in the rapture to be with Christ and his followers. But once again, that's not the end of the story. What's going to happen at this point in time? We've been resurrected. We've been raptured. Is that the end of the story? No. Paul says what happens then is the reunion. We meet with the Lord in the air. Now, how many of you have ever been to your 20th high school reunion? Yeah, there were more last first period, like <laughs> first period, first, first service, right? How many of you guys have ever been to a family reunion before? How many of you would say that reunions aren't always what they're cracked up to be, right? They're not always what you expect them to be. But imagine this scene. This is going to be an amazing scene. People are being reunited with their bodies for the first time, their spirits for eternity. We see family members are seeing each other for the first time in years, and they're getting to enjoy the company as they're rising to meet with Christ. And we're going to meet with Christ, and we look over, and we see something like, hey, didn't think you'd be here right? And they're looking back saying, same to you, buddy, right? As you're both going to have to meet Jesus Christ. But this is part of this incredible reunion that's proclaimed here in scripture. And this is more important than anything is that Jesus Christ is right there at the center of this all. It's so amazing. This tops everything. This experience is the best experience that you can have. And I can confidently say that I can guarantee that each and every one of you in this room has not had the best experience of their life yet. Because you know what that experience is going to be? This moment. I don't care if you'd skied the Himalayas. I don't care if you've water skied at 80 to 100 miles an hour. I don't care if you've ridden on the back of a hyena through the desert of Africa, right? That'd be a little weird, but nevertheless, you know, all these things don't matter. It doesn't matter if you skydived again and again and again. All those experiences, they may be great, but this experience is going to trump them all. See, this is exactly the opposite of skydiving. This is sky rising. And this is going to be this amazing time we have something incredible to look forward to. So no matter what it is that we're going through, and I know some of you are going through some really dark stuff in your life right now, some very troubling things. No matter what it is, we have something to look forward to as a believer in Christ. We know what God's word says about the second coming. Nothing can take that away from us. Nothing can steal that from us. And that gives us hope. That gives us encouragement and excitement. Paul, he goes on the very end of chapter four to say, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. These words shouldn't scare us. They should encourage us. These words shouldn't confuse us. They should encourage us as we read them. So the final question as we close is, what should our attitude be like towards all of this? How should we perceive this? How should we accept this in our lives? And I know that there are some believers who are very fearful when it comes to the second coming of Christ. They're terrified. They're afraid. And there are some real reasons behind that fear. Maybe one of those reasons of fear is regarding judgment. They're wondering, am I going to be judged? I'm a Christian. I've lived a sinful life. I may be in sin right now. Does that mean that I'm going to be part of this judgment? I'm terrified of what Christ's judgment will look like in this end times. Well, Jesus taught us in John 5 that if you're a believer, you've already passed out of judgment and into life. And this is an amazing hope that we have. We all have different rewards in heaven, but none of us have to face that same kind of judgment. You see, that's what forgiveness is all about. That's what Christ came and did on the cross. That's what it's all about. 
This judgment has been moved into life in Christ. Maybe we're not afraid about that. Maybe we're afraid of what happens at the end times, right? We've seen TV shows. We've read the book of Revelation. We've seen the picture books. We saw that new Left Behind movie with Nicolas Cage and we're terrified because of his acting. But, um, you know, whatever. Like, if that's the, 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 I don't want to be a part of that. If that's what Revelation looks, looks like, no way. You know, but all these things, maybe we're afraid of this scenario. We're terrified of what it's going to look like of how we would survive during this time. Am I going to be left behind in this rapture? And you know what? I think that whether or not you're here, whether or not that's what scripture is talking about, if you're here or not, Christ is still going to give you the strength to get through it. Christ is still going to empower you and use you to do mighty things through this time, to bring people to his name because he wants to use you and he will always be with you. Some of us, we have a fear being afraid that Jesus is going to catch us doing something we shouldn't be doing. If he comes back any moment, I shouldn't be doing this. And I have the simplest answer to that. Don't do that thing, right? <laughs> if you're doing something that you're afraid of other people knowing about, and Jesus is like, I'm here, hi, right? Probably shouldn't be doing that in the first place. And it's very important that we live our lives recognizing that this could happen at any moment. We must be alert. We must be ready. We must constantly live our lives knowing that Christ is going to return and call us back to him. And it's this amazing truth of scripture. But there's also another fear I think is probably the biggest fear. And that's the fear of the unrealized dream. See, some of us, we say, well, I want to be a parent. I haven't had children yet. Some of you say, well, I want to be married and I haven't gotten married yet. Some of you may say, I want to be involved in a ministry or I want to start a business or I want to do this or do that or do this. And I don't want Christ to come back before these things happen. I want to achieve this in my life and then he can come back because that's a dream of mine. But you know what? I Once again, I have another easy answer for that. If God has put a dream in your heart that needs to be fulfilled, God can still fulfill it in heaven. God can still do amazing things. And how much more incredible will your dreams be fulfilled in heaven than they would be here on earth? This amazing thing when we think about it. So what should our attitude be towards the second coming of Christ? How do we process all this? Like he returns. There's this resurrection and a rapture and this big reunion. We hear the voice of God and all this. What do I do with this? How do I respond to this? Well, very clearly, we respond with joy and anticipation, with excitement. We look forward to it as what he's going to do. And I think it's crazy sometimes we act and say, well, I can't enjoy this until it actually comes. But I know that that's a lie because most of us look forward to vacations weeks, if not years before they actually happen. So shouldn't we be able to do the same thing saying, this is so much more than a vacation. I eagerly await for this moment to happen in my life. I can't wait for God to do amazing things. And that's what our attitude should be. Anticipation is part of our joy, part of our excitement. We're supposed to anticipate. We're supposed to look forward to the second coming of Christ. Question is, are you? Is that how you're looking at it? Something difficult to think about. Let's pray. Jesus, I can hardly wait until that day when we're able to talk face to face. God, when I can wrap my arms around you and just give you a hug for what you have done for me on the cross, that is the day I'll be able to see the scars that you got on the cross when you gave your life for me. God, I can hardly wait until the day when I'll be able to stand with the billions of other believers and sing to you and rejoice in who you are. God, we can hardly wait until that day when we get that perfect body, when there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, God, we can hardly wait. Jesus, I suppose that I'm a lot like the people in this room. We like this life that you've given us here. It's not perfect. 
We struggle, yet we're very joyous about what you're doing in our lives, the way you're growing us and using us. But Lord, I pray that our encouragement and our enjoyment about what you're doing in our lives now would never take the place of our anticipation of what you're going to do in our lives. Because what we see now, God, is just a shadow. It's just a shadow of what is to come. It's just the first taste of being with you for all of eternity, of praising you, of you growing inside of us. God, I pray that the truth of the second coming of Christ would be in our hearts in a new way this week. And I pray that as we think about you coming again, that it would affect who we are, the way that we live, the way we talk, the kind of hope that we have. And I pray that it would put a foundation into our lives that would make us new people, people with a certainty about us, a security, a humility, a joy, and a hope. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you came the first time, that you died for us on the cross, and that you're coming again, and we will get to meet with you in this day. God, praise you and glory to your name. In your name we pray. Amen.